welcome to Q&A Quest episode 7. Yeah, I'm not gonna... the dangers of putting these numbers in the show notes. Lucky number 11. Does any human being remember that film? I remember it being a film. I never saw it. But I, I re- remember its dumb title, and that is about it. Yes, I remember that it existed. I am given to understand it was not terrible. Okay, we're done here. Yes. Okay, moving on. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, so, yes, welcome to the show where we answer your questions and complaints, which we haven't got any yet, and rants, which we also haven't got any yet. Give but it time. We are open to them. If there's something you want to rant about, like, say, I don't know, I'm sure there's something Mega Man fans would want to rant about, but those aren't RPGs. Hey, you'd never guessed what was announced today. <laughs> yes, some sort of Mega Man collection or something. Mega Gear Solid, the Legacy Collection? Wait, no. Yes. So yeah, normally we don't talk about news, but I think there's one piece of news we should talk about real quick. Oh, what's that? Um, Xseed apparently completely losing their minds. Oh! <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man, Trails yes. in Cold Steel. You may have seen this news on RP Gamer titled, uh, Xseed announces all the games. The irony is that they didn't announce all of them, but they announced games I never would have expected, so we'll give it yes. a look at so, so it it really seemed like after uh after the to sec- put this charitably trails in the sky first chapter bombed a little bit which is <laughs> not the fault of the game or the translation no, it's magic. It, was just, it was bad circumstances the wrong time well it's, it was the fault of the platform let's be honest here well that's what i mean by yeah. the wrong time okay yeah like a psp game in 2011 was basically not happening. No, and, and thankfully it did come out on Steam, which, you know, I'd like to say is, hey... I'd imagine must have done better. Because... Yeah. I, I would say, hey, that's the reason we're getting two more Legends of Heroes games, but obviously since one of them is supposedly coming out this year, they this has been in the works for a long time, so um, it seems like maybe they just worked it out with Falcom and we're just like let's do some of the newer games have, or something. A part of me a part of me wonders if it's because okay, so to to make this a little more obvious, uh the announced games were uh Sen no Kisaki one and two, which I believe collectively are Legends of Hero Legend of Heroes eight. Um Yeah, that sounds about right. That that gets really they confusing. Take place, they they like six, seven and eight all take place in the Trails like universe, which also has a couple of has at least one uh, Trails game that is not a Legend of Heroes game, but uh, Sen no Kiseki 1 and 2, I believe, are collectively Legend of Heroes 8. And they were announced for America as the Legend of Heroes Trails in Cold Steel. Uh, they take place, as far as I can tell, a few years after Trails in the Sky 3rd chapter, the one we are least likely to get. Yeah. And our PS, our PlayStation 3 and Vita games that came out last year, and as far as I can tell, markedly outsold their predecessors. Yeah, is, is there any particular reason why? Uh, they're, they're a lot less dated looking, is uh, the best, I guess. Like, if you've seen Trails in the Sky, it looks like a game that could have come out late in the PlayStation era. It's a very nice game, it's got very nice 2D graphics, but there is, you know, culturally less of an attraction to that art style nowadays so you know there's an assumption that that sort of style is inherently dated these are you know 3d they look like ps3 games yeah excellent if i were to hazard a guess i would say that might be part of it could be uh otherwise who knows sometimes might have just been good marketing might have been good word of mouth it's hard to say they're probably really good i mean they haven't really failed us yet. Yeah, like the the PSP Falcon seems to have a decent following on the Vita, so uh, yeah, just have a decent uh, the following. The Vita version point, somehow outsold the PS3 version, which might be the strangest aspect. It sold about <laughs> ninety thousand units uh, in its first week. Oh wow! So yeah, like it sold to basically everyone who ever bought a Vita in Japan. Um, Probably didn't sell as well as. Uh, God Eater 2. That seems to still be the the biggest Vita title, I the think. The gold standard. Yeah. Uh, like it's that, it's that the uh, sterling silver standard. Yeah. 
Well, hey, at least piracy hasn't seemed to hit Vita yet. It's well, yeah, the, the thing is that, like, yeah, we won't go into that. Uh, I would argue yeah. that the reason piracy has never hit the Vita is because there's just not enough people trying to hack it. That's a good point. But, yeah, as, as a broader uh, concept, like, these are, you know, it's nice that they're continuing to work at these. They also announced a crossover game between Bokujo Monogatari, a.k.a. Story of Seasons, a.k.a. Harvest Moon, depending upon who is localizing it, uh, and Popolo Croy, which is a basically moribund RPG series that only ever came to America once in a strange PSP compilation that no one bought. Weird. It was a weird communication RPG with like the it was designed to be for beginners. It never really. It was, I believe, somewhat popular as a cult following on PS One and hasn't really had much inroads any other time. So it's a very strange object to exist in any circumstance. Uh, well, but like you got to appreciate that you know they are really taking a chance on these. Yeah. Well. And they must have some idea of how they're going about uh, Trails and Cold Steel. I guess the weirdest thing about it is that there is an in-between game that takes place in the same world that they are totally skipping. Yep. But uh, there's Zero and Aono Kisaki, which is just, you know, Trails in Zero and Trails in the Blue. But, yeah. At least we're getting something. Yep, and maybe they can kind of make some sort of attempt to keep up after that? We'll see. It, it's gonna, like, if if Trails in Cold Steel 1 and 2 don't do good business, we're just never going to see any of them again. Yeah. Like, that branch of the, the franchise is not going to be touched until another publisher tries to partner with Falcom. Yeah. Um, you know, I wonder if they're gonna try and port those to PS4 at some point. I would be shocked if they don't, because at this point, the PS4 is where they put PS3 titles that yeah. they want to sell in the West. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that would just be really good for Xseed. It'd so be I good think... for Xseed, it would be good for Falcom, because yeah. it's an easy way to dip their toes into that, and they're already doing it with East. Um, East is a PS4 and Vita title, right? Yeah. Yeah, East 8, uh, or I guess it's technically not titled, but as far as we can tell, East 8. Um, it's the easiest, easiest way to describe it at this point. Yeah. You say, uh, so, like, it's it would be good for Falcom, because they're already somewhat used to the PS4's architecture. I mean, it's, you know, the frickin' uh, current-gen consoles use, like, x86 architecture, don't they? They used to make yeah. PC games all the time. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, it's, it's like they're going back to their roots. <laughs> yeah, ironically. Uh, the you know, it makes sense for them because they can dip their toe into that without devoting a ton of resources to it. It makes sense for Xseed because that's how you sell a new PS3 game now. You sell, it, you put, you port it to the PS4. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I could see it happening. I mean, people have been rumbling for a long time that, for example, Tales of Zestria is probably PS4 bound. Yeah, actually, I think the latest rumor was it was marked as PS4 and PC with no PS3 listing. Yeah, which would probably piss some people off, but yeah. honestly, you know what? Good from, enough. That's from a, getting it. Like, from a marketing and sales perspective... It that, makes a lot more it, sense. That's good for the series. Like, I, yeah. know, I know people don't want to hear that. It's good for the series. Inside we, of two years, the PS4 has already reached a third of the install base of the PS3, so... Yeah. It, it, the... The old consoles, we gotta let them go. They are like, rapidly dying off. Yes. It, it, at some point, and I think we're rapidly reaching that point, they just gotta you know, cut, cut, their it, losses. cut it off and it, it seems like anything that would have been like a PS3 release in Japan is changing over to a PS4 release. So, it's, it's coming. So or if, at least a dual release. Yeah. So, get ready. As long as we get it at all. Yeah. No. Well, we just spent a long time stepping on what I presume are the RPG cast's toes, so... <laughs> well, we're answering a question that has been asked... Well, I feel like almost every podcast on the site is probably going to ha- talk about this a little bit, because it's just kind of big, unexpected news. Because we're all giant nerds. Yeah, so I, I felt like 
we need to take a few minutes. But all right, let's just let's just jump directly into. Just our pretend first question. that I asked what our thoughts were on <laughs> on Sen no Kiseki. There you go. All right, so should we jump into our first actual question? Yes, let's jump into our first non-cheating question. <laughs> Do you want to go with your the first one you picked or the first one I picked? Yeah, whichever you prefer, man. All right, let's. Uh, well, we are talking about Vito, so let's talk about Freedom Wars. Okay. Oh man, I can just turn my brain up for a while. <laughs> this is from Lowell Whoops, and who provides many of our questions, and we do legitimately thank, even though we make a lot of jokes about how many of our questions he provides. Yes, and I think at some point we're just going to have him on the show. And just yeah, just that just kind of has to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so this was kind of a response to uh, some episode when we were talking about Freedom Wars. I think it was when somebody asked. Uh, well, we talked about like hunting action yes. type. Somebody somebody asked about clones, and I brought up Freedom Wars. So his question is basically how fun it is. Fun, how fun is it? Was what are the, some of the coolest things about the game? Apparently, I can't read tonight. Is it, nece- <laughs> is it necessary to play multiplayer to progress? I own the game. I haven't played it yet. Played it yet? I could use something different after I finished Neptunia or Rebirth 2. So maybe Freedom Wars. Um, this is kind of a weird. Futuristic-y game. Um, it's about being in space debtors' prison, isn't it? Basically, <laughs> yes. It's really, it's really weird, but kind of like Xenoblade. It's really, it's very invested in making the concept work. So, very quickly, it it's just kind of like this makes sense. This all makes perfect sense. So it's some weird future where, um commit a crime, you're basically sentenced to, like, uh, thousands of years of service. Thousands of years of monster hunting. Service Wheels to, goes yeah. off to go commit a crime into the space future. To, like, service to, I guess, a city? And you have to protect the regular citizens? It's, it's pretty weird, and, and, like, there's lots of things you're not supposed to do. Like, at first, you're not allowed to sit down, so... There's like this part at the beginning of the game where you're kind of just wandering around your cell, and if you sit down, it's like adds like 500 years to your sentence. <laughs> and eventually, you have to work up to get a license to be able to like walk around. I guess we'd call it a prison. Uh, and it kind of goes from there. It's, I haven't I haven't played a huge ton of it, but the concept is really interesting. The uh, Actual hunting is a bit similar to uh, God Eater, but maybe a bit more action, action-based. Uh, like it's got basic kind of shooter controls, but you also have a sword and a cool grappling hook. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. Action is pretty fun. The story is interesting. Uh, not sure where it eventually ends up. Uh, I haven't played any multiplayer at all, so I don't think it's required, and I don't think it probably has a thriving <laughs> online base. So yeah, I'm not sure if you even want to try bother with the multiplayer, but yeah, I guess it's worth at least checking to see if there's any kind of community online. I'm sure there's some people. There's probably like five really hardcore people who are very angry that it's not popular, but I'm sure that there's also another ten or so that are still playing it and just enjoying themselves. Yeah. Well, there's probably still a lot of people playing Soul Sacrifice. It also so. probably got an infusion just on the fact that it was like a dollar a few <laughs> a few weeks ago. Yeah, so. it seems to have dipped in price. So well, it was on one of Sony's flash sales where they really like marked it down. Oh, okay. Well, so then it, yeah, you know, sometimes with those sales, it really does help a lot. So there might be a lot of people playing it. So might be a good or time. At least as many as you can find. Yeah, might be a good time to jump in. Because the the online communities for uh, less popular games like that can kind of die out quickly. So there you go. Well, and, and or you can just I guess find friends to play with. But yeah. So yeah, that's Freedom Wars. It's pretty cool. It's worth checking out. Um, with doubt too many big releases last year, I think it was the most interesting Vita game that came out. So give it a try. All right. And let's move on. All right, so let's move on to our next question, which is, uh, you wanna? What's what's our next That's question? Another law. Whoops. 
which was one of the ones tweeted at you. Oh, uh, nice. At Wheels, is a good RPG uh, by committee even possible? Do you need fewer people in charge of story or other details to be good? Mm-hmm. Oh man, I'm about to get to go off on one of my favorite subjects, which is the uh, vilification of the concept of editing, which is only tangential to this subject, but <laughs> it shows up a lot. Yeah, we actually had a, a bit of a discussion about this uh, a few days ago. The second that I saw that this question was in the queue. Yeah. Um... So, like, I, I, I do want to start out with my perfect thesis statement as to why paring down the number of creative people involved is not inherently a good thing by pointing out that the ending of Mass Effect 3 was written by two people who locked the other six people in the writing process out of the writing room. Mm. But the ending to that game was so good, wasn't it? Uh, that ending. There was a Mass Effect 3 backtrack. Go look at that again. <laughs> yeah, I agree. There was some there was some talk there. Uh, so, so, yeah, like, just as a, as a general rule, there is this assumption that there is some purity of creative vision that is, I guess, sort of... I don't even know how to describe it. Like, that is diluted with every additional, you know, to mix metaphors, with every additional cook in the kitchen. And... <sighs> For a well-managed project, that's really not how it goes. And, like, I could go off on a long rant about auteur theory sort of poisoning the uh, way that we view projects created by hundreds of people. But, you know, that's a long, long, long rant that involves a lot of arguing about theory only tangentially related to games. Yeah, um... The simple fact of the matter is that even the most genius creators do better with feedback. Uh, uh, yes, yeah. That's basically the core of the point. And, yeah. like, there, there's a difference between that and the, what's usually invoked by the term designed by committee. But in that, you know, it's because because there's so many different ways that, because this question kind of raises both questions, I decided I would I would like move it as close to the front of the queue as I could so that I could yell about it. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot of dis- different aspects of this too. So, uh, you know, we talked about obviously we got the singular creator who's the singular genius creator who really does better with feedback a lot of the times. I I like to bring up the yeah. stories you hear about George Lucas and Star Wars where he see received obviously a lot of feedback and stuff filming the original yeah. trilogy but filming the prequels people were kind of a bit more like yes man like yes George Lucas like well he also just didn't put the scripts in front of other people as yeah. often like you know the the uncredited editors and doctors for like uh Star Wars uh, a new hope or th- people like Francis Ford Coppola and it's just like oh well that explains a lot yeah but yeah, it's like, but even going beyond that, you just, like, no one is a perfect fountain of good ideas. It's just, you know, like, anyone who's ever even tried writing or, you know, just making any sort of creative work realizes that, like, you're never really a perfect judge of what actually connects with other people and what is just interesting to you. Mm-hmm. And I, this is especially true for video games as they've gotten a lot more com- complex. Uh, you know, back in the old days, it was certainly a lot easier for one person to have one singular vision that works out fine because the games were relatively simple. I mean, you talk about a lot of modern games, and it just doesn't quite work out that way. Yeah, and like, this is, this is what I mean when I say, like, the idea of people, like, letting the concept of auteur theory, which is, you know, a theory that was come up with about film in the, you know, mid-20th century, which basically said that, you know, as much as film was a big group process that required tons and tons of people, there was still a final author, and that final author was the director. And so, you know, the failings and triumphs of the film were, in, uh, in any real sense, they were the directors, one way or the other. 
And that concept, while it has merit as a way of looking at things, has sort of poisoned the way that we look at any large group project that requires tons of people and hundred and you know millions and millions of dollars in order to actually create. And it just, you know, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it, it, people. The way people describe it makes it sounds like sound like oh, there's no creative process here. It's just a machine to pump out things for people to buy and blah 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 and it's just it's not the case it's really not the case and and it's not to say that there aren't games that are essentially like in the traditional sense designed by committee which you know refers more to the idea of like we got a focus group together they said what they liked make something that hits all of these check boxes right but you know there's there's you know two angles to this and there is a certain attempt there is a certain assumption that like by having a bunch of people look at something, you are diluting its ability to reach a core audience. Mm. I've got a lot of strong feelings about this. No, that's fine. (laughs) And I know we don't have time to go into all of them, but it's just, you know, it's, it's it's kind of a big deal. There's a lot of, like... You know, getting a lot of people together can help you is one of the best ways to iron out just like, okay, this idea that I really like, it turns out it's actually like to every other perspective I can find completely stupid. Yeah. And like, you know, that's that's important because like if you were to look into the creative process of almost anything you had ever loved you would find that there was at least one thing left on the cutting room floor that would just have you shaking your head as to how it could ever have even been suggested. (laughs) Not to go too far into the Lucas well, but he and uh, Steven Spielberg were pretty uh, pumped about the idea of Indiana Jones' love interest in Raiders of the Lost Ark being like 12. Yeah, that would have gone over well. Yeah, I'm sure that that there was a huge audience that people uh, would have really warmed up to the guy. Uh, so, yeah, like, as much as it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, they're just trying to tear out the passionate heart that is trying to create some unique work of vision, you also have to remember that a lot of times, you know, the other side of the other side of creativity is madness. Yeah. So, and, you know, having a set, just more sets of eyes to tell you that's that idea, you need to rethink that or remove it. And a lot, of, time, a lot of times, a lot of the vision you think is from that one person is really kind it's, of... It's really team. like their idea being molted upon by, like, you know, just going through, like, you know, repeated, like, okay, you need to rethink this until it reaches what it becomes in the final product. Yeah, well, and the example I'm thinking of is you look at uh, Legend of Legacy, which has a lot of former Saga staff, and it really feels like heart and soul like a Saga game uh, without Kawazu. So obviously there's a lot more to those games that even I give credit to. Although yeah. obviously he's... Obviously I'm not trying to diminish the impact he had on those games. Yeah, that's, but... that's always the other side of this. Like When you're bringing up that a lot of people work on these, it's like you can you can still feel the thumbprints of certain people that have yeah. had important aspects. But it's always nice to remember that there's more than one person's thumbprints all over what you're playing. Yeah. So I guess to answer the original question, uh, the answer is yes and they have and will continue to be. It happens more often than you think. Yeah, and it's a good thing. And a lot of times if there's a bad game, it might be because they didn't have that process. It's why, it's. I'm convinced part of why Square created like this weird hierarchy of godfathers of Final Fantasy and hey, you know, new Final Fantasy games are looking pretty good again. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, I think anything else on this question? Uh, there was one last like specific answer I was going to pull up, but I'm it's completely escaping me, so Alright. We'll move on. Alright. Let's move on. Alright, let's move on to our next question. Um which is I don't know what question it is. It's kinda of two questions. Oh. 
Okay, here we go. So, do we want to start with the one you have to answer? Because I have no idea about this one. <laughs> yeah, I can I can do that. Let's let's read out the first one and then we'll move on. Okay. Uh, both of these are by uh, Taxide. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, it's Taxide. Taxide. I think you called okay. it Tech Slide the first time. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to remember if, which in which direction <laughs> it's it up. Okay. Uh, and now for a question or two. Uh, the question I can answer, what's the story about Wizardry 4's development process? And, oh boy! This, so, is this something you just like mentioned at random when we were talking about old I, I PC RPGs? It, I mentioned it offhand at some point, because yeah, we did talk about Wizardry recently, and I mentioned like uh, that Wizardry 4 is kind of this infamously just evil game. Uh... So, you know, Wizardry 1 through 3 are kind of the codifiers of the first-person dungeon crawl. Uh, basically, you know, half of any RPG you care to name owes uh, its existence to Wizardry in some form or fashion. Uh, Wizardry 4 was their attempt to avoid getting stale while also trying to make something very much for their hardcore audience. Hmm. Uh, Wizardry 4 uh, Wizardry 4 quickly became infamous for this. Uh, according to people internal uh, who were near the project but did not work on it, the developers of Wizardry 4 were intent on creating the hardest possible video game. That, and That seems like a bad idea. They came about as close as anyone's going to come. So Wizardry 4 took the idea of Wizardry where you go, start in a town, you hire a party, you go uh, into a dungeon, you try to just delve as far down as you can, and it sort of flipped it on its head. Uh, you were the evil that lurked at the bottom of the dungeon. You put together a party of, like, evil uh, wizards and monsters to help you try to climb to the top and destroy the world. That um, sounds pretty cool. Which, that's a neat concept, but uh, everything was sacrificed on the altar of challenging the sort of person who had beaten one through three. Ooh, no. So, to start... To start with, a lot of enemy parties were made up of completed save files from Wizardry, Wizardry's 1 through 3. Oh, God. Like, players could send in their, like, completed save, and they would be used as the basis for enemy parties. <laughs> um, the game dispensed with the concept of leveling up entirely, at least in terms of, like, experience points. You had to find a pentagram on each floor that would power you up. Uh, which meant that no matter what floor you were on, you were always going to start it uh, incapable of doing uh, of doing as much damage as what you were fighting. Uh, perhaps most infamously, mostly because everyone who played it saw it, was that it was possible to create a party that was incapable of remove of leaving the first room. Because in order for the in order to see the door out of the first room, your party had to cast a light spell that would reveal the invisible door that lets you leave the first room, and there was a very solid chance that you would create a party that did not have that spell and thus could never see the way out. Fun. <laughs> like the the game actually came with a envelope that basically insulted you for having to open it, but said that if you could not find the way out of the first room to use it. <laughs> it the game is just full of that. Like there's one point where like you have you this is of course old school, you're making your own maps. Uh you have a map that you have to make that, you know, can easily get screwed up because you'll walk through a teleporter and like not even be warned about it. But you're making a map and uh if you've drawn the map correctly, it's the only way to know the password to enter the next level of the dungeon, because the map spell the map you have made spells out the password. <laughs> like it's full of all sorts of things that sound like, oh, that's neat on paper, and then it's like, oh, then you actually try playing them and they're hateful. And it was to the t time the developer of the game's absolute most appalling failure because essentially what you ran into was there were two types of people there was the much much larger group of people who, who said this game is impossible why would I ever play this again and you know basically warned all of their friends 
don't bother. And you had the, like, 2% of people who bought it said, holy crap, this is amazing, this is really hard. Why isn't every game like this? And it's like, because we can't sell a game to you. There are not enough of you. And it's just like, it's it's just a good sort of case study in the dangers of over-catering to what is assumed to be your core audience. Because, you know, you will cut out the part of your audience that is large enough to make you profitable. Oh, so that is the story of Wizardry 4, as related to by me, badly, from memories of various articles and interviews with various people who were close to it, including the president of the company that made it at the time. <laughs> Well, but let's move on to the second part of the question yeah because that is a game that probably none of us will ever play because screw that game I don't, I don't recommend it yeah <laughs> I freely recommend All right, it alright so what was the second part of the question something not wizard related uh, secondly this, is, this part's for you this okay. is definitely for you F- secondly for someone who has never done a roguelike but wants to try what's a good one to start with uh, that's a good question and there's a few different answers we can You're go sure here. we've never done this question before. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I don't know. We could go look at our old show notes and make yeah. sure we don't have to trash it. Second. <laughs> um, yeah, we may have just brought it up while talking about some other roguelike, but I guess it depends on if you want like a true roguelike or something that just plays like a roguelike. Does it pass the Berlin interpretation? No, that's... Uh, um... <laughs> So if if you want a roguelike to start with, where if you die, you actually have to start over, I think the best choice is still Sheer and the Wanderer for DS. Because uh, that one actually has a lot of things that stay persistent after you die. Like there's storehouses where you can store weapons. You can kind of like level up a weapon and send it back to the storehouse and keep doing that until you have a really good weapon to use for different runs. Um, do you find characters that will go with you? as you progress and once you find them they they'll join like really early on uh to make a lot of the earlier areas easier and um i think there's some other things too but can't really remember thing off anything offhand so i still think that's like mm-hmm. a really friendly uh roguelike especially cuz it, it it's relatively simple there's n- not a lot of complicated items. Everything pretty much does what it says. Uh, you don't have to deal with ASCII graphics or anything like that. And it's it's pretty fun. It's it's by it will kind of feel like a Dragon Quest ish since it's done by Chunsoft and was originally an SNES game. So a lot of the music and the graphics kind of give you that Dragon Quest feeling. So it it feels kind yeah, of Shun, for the for the record, Chun Suff did several Dragon Quest yeah. for a long time. I think. Yeah, aren't they all of them up through five? I think so. Like they were the programmer house, programming house for it. Yeah. So the game will feel familiar to some extent. So yeah, it's pretty fun. I don't really re- recommend any PC roguelikes, and unless you've gotten used to the genre, because. Uh, I mean, rogues have been around there for a long time, so it's a lot of mostly weird, hardcore stuff. So, um, and if you want something to just kind of, you know, I don't like I don't like using the terms true roguelike and whatnot. If you want something that's more like a traditional RPG, where you kind of keep where less is reset, then I would recommend. Uh, ZHP for PSP or Guided Fate Paradox for PS3. They're kind of the same series, even yeah. if they aren't labeled as such. So those, you do lose items and stuff when when you die, and each of the dungeons you start at level one, but you have like this total level, and you can store items and do other kinds of things to kind of have some sort of uh, persistent progress and leveling up a character and stuff like that. So it kind of it's kind of a best of both both worlds, I guess would be the best way to describe it. Um, you don't really get like a lot about the true the. Uh, there, I keep, can't stop myself using this term. Maybe it'd be better to call it a traditional roguelike. I don't. I don't really know. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's... I don't know. Yeah, a lot about those is learning how to play them and kind of the thrill of seeing how far in the game you can get. So you don't get that as much in these games, but um, you do to some extent. And I think they have some optional dungeons that are more akin to that. So uh, any of those, so those three games would be good places to start. And then you can, if you really dig it, there's obviously a lot out there. Um, I think there are some pretty decent ones you can find on Steam as well. Um, that are not ASCII graphics based. Like I don't recommend those at all. They're just archaic and annoying. So uh, yeah, don't don't play those. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just leave it there. Yeah. So Sheeran is Sheeran is a good starting place for sure. And I would just say start with Sheeran and then go from there if you like it. Um, you just kind of big yeah. I don't yeah. Like. You know, the, the thing to remember here is if you're a big RPG player, you kind of have to turn. You, you have to realize that you're gonna die and you're gonna lose all your stuff, and you have to know that that's that's the game, and not try and play it like you're playing I don't know Diablo or something. Just relax and let's keep just, playing let's the game. Let's just use yeah. the logical inverse of Dragon Quest. Yes, it's part of the game. Just keep with it, and you know I, I think a lot of people would uh, like Sharon if they actually gave it a try. But, uh, yeah, Sega... I wouldn't. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Sega did such a good job marketing in that game, didn't they? Didn't Atlas publish a Wii one that no one, including you, played? I played that. It's good. It's, uh... closer to, like, ZHP and stuff than it is the original Yeah, because it's inherently a more modern game rather than a, like, sort of remake of an SNES Yeah. That's that's a pretty good one to try too. Although that's I don't think that's as good as CHP or Guided Fate Paradox or Sharon DS. So there's a lot of Sharon games. Yeah, there are a lot of Sharon games, and we only... okay, moving on. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on. All right, so what is our next question? Another from Law Whoops. Do you think having an app on a phone, Vita, 3DS, tablet, or other portable device that will allow you to play battles, collect items and money, maybe little missions or something that would uh, tie into a console slash PC RPG is actually viable. What kind of things would the app need to do to make people want to use it? Is it as simple as just fighting battles and gaining levels that transfer to the home version? Hmm. I would say that more and more the answer is that such a thing isn't viable because that would be the game itself and they would sell it to you on your phone. Yeah, that's like (laughs) pretty much sums it up. Uh, like, you know, it's as, as glib as that is, tie-in games really only work if they're on, say, you know, Facebook or something, where you're already checking them, uh, and they don't have any real interactive elements. They just require you to look at some branding. Hmm. But, you know, in as far as, like, you know, you would make the the kind of thing you're suggesting that would involve, like, a lot more, like any more interactivity than that, and they can just sell it as its own product, yeah. or even just make it a weird freemium thing. And something like this would have to be so, really, yeah. really well thought out too. I feel like uh, a lot of companies would just kind of shove something out there that doesn't really work. Like there's, there's a lot of companion apps for game. Well, maybe less so now, but it's they're really common. Yeah, and they're not very good. Um, like you don't even realize how many of them there are because you never download them because why would you? Yeah. Uh, the but best. Like you put in the name of any big uh, game of any real like note and then drop it into the Google Play Store or the App Store and hit search. Aside from like a bunch of fake things that are crazy people <laughs> trying to make money from your ignorance, you'll also get like an official app for anything that was ever of note. Yeah, I've tried a few. Um, I remember one for uh, Assassin's Creed Four. We you could get like a map and kind of look around with that, which is eh. Uh, there's one for Destiny, which is pretty good, and where you, it you can get a lot of in-game information, and you can uh, actually like move stuff around, move stuff between characters, move stuff to your item vault. You can find out 
what the game's story is. <laughs> you can, <laughs> because most of the game's story is in the grimoire, which you can access from that app. Um, yeah, that one. Uh, the the only one of these I've ever significantly tried was the Dead Rising Three companion app because there there were uh, bonus missions that were locked behind it, and it's just like, oh, um, that's okay. Maybe don't do that. Um, like, like the the thing about it is that you always have to deal with the fact that the if you're going to do a companion app that interfaces with the game in any real fashion, you're you are dragging your consumers' eyes away from the actual product in yeah. order to get them to use the, the not real product, <laughs> the so, the product that exists as advertisement for the real product. So I think the more likely route is uh, companion games where you can transfer different stuff between them. Yeah, like the low-budget little things that they can put on other systems that in some way interest the already existing audience, but which, you know, systems where the original game itself is not suitable. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's basically the long and short of it. There's There just isn't really much of a market for, yeah. like, these additional little progress questy little things that allow you to add little things to your uh, uh, actual game unless there's something that come out before the actual game you want to play. Yeah. So the second you get the actual game you want to play, you know it's going to be more efficient to just play the actual game. Yeah. <laughs> so interesting idea, but ultimately unrealistic. Uh, unrealistic. It was kind of a big thing that they did a lot in the late 90s, although... Well, not late 90s. Late 2000s, early 2010s. Yeah. Uh, Dragon Age, each of the Dragon Age games tended to have these attached to them. There were a lot of Assassin's Creed games that had them attached, and it was just like, they were something that you'd play for a couple days because, oh, I can get some weird sort of butt kick that, you know, I can import to my character when I start the game, and then it's just like, oh, after a couple days you forget because there's no real gameplay to them. Oh, hey, you can and, play you this. know, if there was more, more gameplay to it. You could, if you play this really bad PSP Assassin's Creed, you can transfer these weapons to Assassin's Creed 2. Or you could just play Assassin's oh Creed 2 because that was a lot better. Lines? I did. It was not very good. F- oh, heavens, why? Because it was That's Assassin's a Creed game. Portable. And... Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> In the same way that Splinter Cell Chaos Theory Engage was Splinter Cell Portable. Oh... Yep. Mistakes were made. Many mistakes, up to and including purchasing that video game. Uh. Um, But yeah, basically, like, tie-in games of varying quality are going to continue to be the bread and butter of this concept. Yep. Shall we move on? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now is the time to uh, open your Q&A Quest companion app. (laughs) All right. So our next question is kind of a multiple questions sort of mashed into one but all have pretty short answers and it's xenoblade stuff which is greatly timed because i'm nearing the end of xenoblade finally finally he gets yes. to keep his copy of uh of tengai makio uh kabuki something or other Woohoo! kabuki den <laughs> um so let's see the first question is what are some of your favorite party setups and why um well, I'm nearing the 70-hour mark, and I think I've still used the most with, uh, I would say, the original three characters. Well, well, sort of. Um, which would be Shulk, Rain, and... Oh my god, what the heck is her name? Charla? Charla? Yeah, I think Charla. Yes. Charla. Having a brain fart there. Some of these character names they don't really say a lot, so you'll excuse me if <laughs> their names. Also, you mispronounce. Rhine. It's Rhine. Oh. And they do say his it's name a lot. It's Rhine so there's, time. There's no excuse for that. No excuses. Yeah. I'm I'm just gonna blame the English accents. It's Rhine time. <laughs> But yeah, no, they're they're a good party, and it's really easy to. You don't have to switch it up much past them no. if you don't really feel like it. No, and it's really good, and especially if you're not doing a lot of side quests and are kind of a, a bit under leveled, to have a tank as your main character, they're less likely to die. Yeah. 
So yeah. Um, so I use Rhine. Did I pronounce it right? Rain. Rhine. Yes. Rhine. Rhine. It's Rhine time. Okay. This is really bad because I've I've been played this game for several hours today. So I would bad. imagine that after a while you just tuned it out. Yeah. So I use I use him a lot. Um. So managing lots of aggro, uh, using lots of defensive stuff, and you know that's a good team because uh, when you're under leveled, you you definitely need Charlotte for the healing. And actually, I don't think I've used a party without her, to be honest. Except, uh, <laughs> except that one story point where the characters are split up for a short bit. You know that one that's in every RPG ever. Yep. Um, but one interesting party I have been using lately is uh, character number seven, who I won't name for spoiler reasons. Person. Yes, uh, Melia, and. Uh, Sharla as well, because gotta have that healing. But I actually used this against a recent boss because I had thought that there were going to be enemies before this boss and I was just going to mess around that party with that party for a little bit, and uh, there weren't. So there was just a boss and... Then you had to fight a boss. And they destroyed the boss. So, <laughs> yeah, it worked out pretty well. Like, the game's got a lot of viable party setups. They're cool. Yeah, like I actually went I I, f I failed the first time because I didn't re I didn't there's this um, I don't want to kind of try to avoid spoiler here spoilers here but there's something you have to do in this the middle of this battle to prevent instant death and I didn't really realize that because I kind of skipped through a dialogue that came up so I wiped and then I went to my usual party and failed miserably and went back to this party setup and destroyed the boss so yeah. Uh, pretty interesting. I also used uh, uh, what the heck is his actual name because all I, all I call him is Daddy Pond. <laughs> I, I don't remember his actual name. The, the, They'll know what it means. Whatever. The, the, the Nepon guy. Because uh, he has a ridiculously ridiculous amount of life and all his, be all his abilities are interesting because they all like inflict status ailments on the enemy. And um, he, I think he has the only ability in the game where he can like inflict topple on an enemy without inflicting break first, although it's a bit random. Uh, but he's kind of goofy and says goofy things during battle, so he was pretty fun to use. Um, but I think I used him and Shulk and Sharla as well, so... That worked out for a long time, or maybe I used somebody else's second. Yeah. Um, so, and to answer the the next question here, which is, any luck using Naked Dun Dunban? I have not used him at all in any capacity whatsoever. <laughs> Rip. Um, no particular reason why, just that I liked who I was using, and then never seemed to have any reason to use him. Um, but I, I'll probably do that the next time I play through the game. Which I actually plan to do because um, I want to see more of the side stuff that I kind of skipped. Um, so, do you remember? I, I'm, I'm guessing it's been a while since you played the game. Do you remember any of the party setups you used? It's it's been too long to really think too hard about it. I was I, I'm always pretty vanilla with party setups. So. Okay. And you know the the vanilla party setups you can use here are still pretty interesting. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of use probably the expected one, and they're really fun to use, and you can kind of switch around between those those three if you get bored using one of them. Like the game lets you use any character as the main character. Um, you it's can't, useful. Yeah. <laughs> you can't directly control the party members, but in case for anyone out there who hasn't played this game, um, except for special chain attacks... Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to mess around with all the characters in this game because they have so, lots of different abilities. No, I no no two characters are like clones of each other, so it's really interesting to at least try them all. Dark Shulk. Yes. <laughs> all right, so Let's go straight up Smash Brothers. <laughs> 
Uh, so we talked about Naked Dunbon, which I don't even know what that is, so I don't know. If I haven't I, used them at all. I believe, he's, I believe they're just saying, like, the concept of using Dunban without any sort of additional equipment. Okay. That sounds... Yeah, that could be interesting. Um, next one up is, how do you think Xenoblade Chronicles X will relate to Xenoblade Chronicles? Um, um, it's kind of hard for me to answer because I haven't finished the game yet, so I don't know how the story ends. Although I I'm have gonna take the some developers ideas. At their word. Yeah, I'm going to take the developers at their word when they say that it doesn't really have anything to do with it. Yeah, and that would make sense to me. Um, I, I mean, like it's worth noting that when they first announced it, they were very leery about ever using the phrase Xenoblade yeah. until like a year and a half into development. Yeah, I mean, like the city is called what is it called New New Los Angeles Neo Los Angeles, um, and I don't, as far as I know. Maybe this is something revealed on the end of the game, but as far as I know, Xenoblade isn't connected to Earth at all. Space America. <laughs> so it would it would seem weird for suddenly there there to be a reference to something from Earth. So it it does seem like they're not going to be related at all, except like thematically and gameplay wise. They're related like Final Fantasy. You got yeah. Moogles, you got phone. <laughs> So I don't think this is like Xenoblade Chronicles Episode 2 or anything. I think they just, they're doing something new, so there you go. It's just that the developers behind it have a very clear, like, thematic sense of style that's kind of pervaded all their games. Yeah. And to be honest, even though, like I said, I haven't gotten to the end, Xenoblade feels like its own complete story, so I'm not sure I'd even want something that directly connects it's to pretty it. pretty self-contained, yeah. as, as far as I recall. So, probably not connected at all, as far as story goes. Um, let's see, next question here. Heavy, medium, or light armor? For me, I just look at the best stats and equip that on the characters. I don't know if there's any difference between the, the different armor styles. Um... And the fact that the characters look kind of funny when they have heavy armor equipped, because it's like huge. Heavy armor, it's very heavy. <laughs> uh, most useless character? I don't think any of them are useless. Uh, I think you could probably find some party setups that are really bad, but I don't think on their own any character is useless. Bad synergy, you know, like like a lot, like most RPGs nowadays, like, the game's really designed that, like, you could make an, you can make a lot of arguments about, like, what is an optimized setup, but, like, most RPGs nowadays are really stretching back into eternity, uh, they aren't really designed for complete optimization, because that's, eliminates most of your options. Yeah. So... Saying a character is useless compared to another might have weight, but saying they're fundamentally useless is usually not the case. Yeah. Um, and if you're trying to maybe use a character in some way they don't really fit, like if you're trying to use uh, Daddy Pond as a healer, um, you're probably going to think his, he sucks. And good luck. It's because he has one healing ability and it's not the best. So yeah. <laughs> Um, all the characters have a decent set of abilities. It's just um, how you mix and match them and how they synergize together. So, no useless characters. And I think that's it. And I'm going to insert probably a few Xenoblade sound clips in here because I don't want to. I don't. He he wrote something in. This is from Jim, by the way. He wrote something in a line from the game that I don't yeah. want to try reading because I won't be able to make it sound as funny as it is. So I'm just going to find a sound clip for, from the game and shoot it in there. So there you go. Xenoblade is cool. Play it. Holy poly, keep on rolling! Go play Xenoblade. Yeah. Preview for Wheels' uh, review. Yes, I should have a review for that up um, before summer. It's still not <laughs> technically summer yet. 
Yeah, the, the, you got about eh, two weeks? Yeah, I should be done by then. Alright, let's, oh, let's move still. on. Alright, so let's move on to our final question of the episode. Is, <laughs> is, is this from also... From, no, that, that sounds ominous. Is this also from Low Whoops? Uh-oh. Yes. What RPG has your least favorite character in it? Any hmm. games you love that have an awful character? Hmm. Uh, how about you go first? I'm going to relish this first. <laughs> RPG with my least favorite... Oh, Blue Dragon. Yeah, Blue Dragon. Uh, that's that's not a great cast. It's not a great cast. Um, it's not a great cast, but I could, you know, get by that. Because the gameplay is fun, if not for the most annoying character I've ever experienced in any RPG that I've ever played, I think. <sighs> yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. He doesn't even deserve his name you're, said. You're not going to see what it is? Just say yeah. it. You got it. Yeah. Yep. 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 Do it. Do he, it. He who no. shall not be named. <laughs> This is question and answer. You can't not provide an answer. I just did. That's not how it works. Yes, it is. All right, who's your uh, least favorite character? So I'm just gonna I'm gonna cheat and say the entire cast of Tales of Legendia. <laughs> oh, that's why you were laughing. The entire cast. <laughs> like, it's not just what any one character does. It's their complete like lack of written chemistry as a whole <laughs> so like even characters who would otherwise be completely inoffensive are irritating due to their like association with each other oh dear like <sighs> Tales of Legendia is like one of my least favorite gaming experiences ever like I played it on like a Tales binge back in the late 2000s and like it was so it, it I hated it with every fiber of my being and the writing is really what killed it because the battle system is bad by tail standards the graphic style is ugly the uh, actual story is terribly interesting when it's not being stupid uh, the difficulty balance is poor the way you earn new skills is irritating it's, it's bad but in a in a broader sense, the worst part about it was the like the entire like a large portion of the story revolves around a love triangle between like a guy his dead fiance, her jealous sister, and stoic girl, and I wanted all of them to end up as unhappy as possible, whether that meant ending up together or ending up alone, I couldn't tell. <laughs> Because I wanted nothing more than for all of them to be as miserable as they were making me by having to listen to them never shut up. Wow. I, I need you to understand that my hatred for this is primal and in some degree irrational. <laughs> but, like, it is a hatred that glistens like the purest crystal. <laughs> for from, like, the harshest invective. It was... It is like a, a purity of the universe, a place that cannot be broached by logic or actual argument like I don't, I understand that there's the, this game has fans, I have met them, I have talked to them, and I try to be civil when talking to them, but at the same time like there is no breaching this hatred for it is pure and protected by self-assurity <laughs> oh. and you're telling me you can't name Eric the Dragon. Maru Maru. Oh, there he is. Is the mascot named. nonsense? I, I guess. With the awful. With the awful uh, he has like a super the tiny yellow thing voice. The, the, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he was not a good choice. And in case you think, oh, they just messed up the localization. No, he was just bad in Japan. Yeah, no. The, the thing about tiny shrieky mascots is that they tend to have even shriekier voices in Japan. <laughs> uh, 
if you find shrieky voices mutating, you're going to find those doubly so. Um, it, it's like go listen to Japanese Teddy and try not to feel like we got we kind of made out pretty well on that deal. <laughs> um, but yeah, as as for like awful characters and things I like. Mm. Uh, that's a tougher question. Are there any bad characters in Mass, like, usually, Mass Effect? Uh, is there anyone in Mass Effect I really hate as opposed to and am ambivalent to? I mean, I think there's some characters I really dislike, but I think to some extent they're... It's intentional? Yeah. Like, uh, like, like, that's the other thing about it, is that like a lot of times when I don't like a character in something that I think is otherwise good, it's because it's by intent. Yeah, it's someone that's like not you, supposed you, to be a good it, person. <laughs> yeah, it's someone that you're supposed to, on some level, at least find irritating. And so, like, you know... And, and that's why... It, I don't into a lot of characters that like I feel like really missed the mark in otherwise well-written games is that like oh well you know like there has to be it's hard to compartmentalize a grievous writing failure hmm. <laughs> like it's going to bleed into something else I guess if I had to I would say someone like Ken from Persona 3 would probably be like a go-to example of a character that I don't like, and I yeah. think misses the mark in another good game. Um, I think because. I... Oh, go ahead. I think I kind of really disliked Luke from Tales of Abyss. Not the uh, the real Luke I'm talking about. Not the Luke you actually play as. Um, but I think. Oh, Ash the Bloody. Yes. <laughs> I think to some extent the game is old. We can. Yeah, I think. But to... you're you're not really supposed to like him that much. Yeah, that's that's true. I just thought that uh, they could have done a better job with that because it it just seemed like he was just angry all the time, not always for any particular reason, and to the point that he got kind of annoying. Kind of a bad person. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're yeah. right. I think a lot of that my, is as my intended. other response. Yeah, like it's it's supposed to give us like a, the sense of a character who is deeply upset because a lot of unjust things happen to him, but yeah. is reacting in a way that's not actually helpful. Yeah, and a lot, in a lot of ways it also uh, is a good way to contrast him with his clone. Um, to yeah, show where Luke they is are like, not really the same person. Yeah, and also how like Luke, as, you know, as his character development goes forward, he becomes the sort of person who will blame himself for things that he really doesn't have a say in. Yeah. Like, like Ash's entire character is centered on being angry at the unjust things that have happened to him, whereas Luke is convinced that the unjust things that have happened around him are his fault. Yeah. And, you know, that's, it's, that is an interesting character contrast, which I think justifies the fact that Ash is a shit stain. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting things in the, that game that I think get glossed over a bit because hey, it's a Tales game, but I, I think that that story is I, really interesting. I do interesting. think that the, if we were going to point out a flaw in that game's narrative, I would say that it overplays its hand at the first third, at the climax of the first third. Oh sure, for sure. Because uh, you know, once once other plot revelations start coming in, it's hard to treat anyone as not being to some extent a hypocrite. Yeah. But yeah, like as, as a whole, it's it's a game that has a lot. It is at least trying to go places with its writing. Yeah, and the effort is very much appreciated. Yeah, as a... I think that you know, it's it's. So it's better than Tales of Legendia. <laughs> oh my gosh! Like, oh, that game. Oh, that game makes me so angry. Like, even just thinking about it, like the the stupid skills that your main character Sinel gets. That, like, you know, they made him a punch guy. That's neat. I like punch dudes. Except that, like, half of his skills are grapples that only work on certain sizes of enemies. So by the time any of them are useful, you've stopped using them because they don't work on anything. Whoops. That game wasn't even developed by Tail Studio, was it? 
So uh, Tales of Legendia was made by Team Melfest, who was an offshoot of uh, internal Namco that was promptly reabsorbed back into internal Namco and seemingly never made anything again. Okay. Uh, a fitting punishment. Um, <laughs> Oh, heavens, that game. I hate that game so much. And, and so much of it is down to the wildly unsympathetic people that populate it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really can't think of any games where... Games I really liked where there was a character I hated that wasn't someone to some extent was intended to be disliked. Again, like I said, my go-to example would be Ken from Persona 3 because... I can see where his arc is supposed to work. Yeah. But he it doesn't work. Like maybe it's some com- like maybe it's some combination of the fact that he's got literally the worst voice in the game. Maybe <laughs> it's uh but like you know, his <sighs> he doesn't feel like he like, you know, he, he goes into his weird revenge plot and then he leaves it and there's not enough space between those and he doesn't... It feels like, you know, only, you know, like the person that... You know, other characters take the brunt of that plot and so he's left just merely being irritating throughout it. Yeah. And of course, we're, we're limiting this primarily to party members. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just like, oh, well, plenty of every game has to have at least one unsympathetic character. I would hope that it, to some extent, some of the villains are unsympathetic, or else something's gone wrong. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> but that's that's about as much as I have to say on the subject. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. So, uh, time to wrap it up, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright, so um, if you have any questions, comments, rants, etc., you can send them in to us at uh, wheels at rpgamer.com. Tweet us. Depending upon how our recording schedule goes, they might not reach us until after the next episode. It's true. Um, so you can send those to, I, I said wheels at rpgamer.com for email. Uh, tweet us at askwheels or fanboymaster. Um, post comments on the forums. Um, I'm not even going to bother with asking. No one seems to use ask.fm, so I'm probably going to stop pointing that out in these episodes. But it is ask. One of you has to prove him wrong. <laughs> is ask wheels and ask.fm if you want to use that. And I think that's about it. Um, I still have tons of questions to dig through, so um, we will be back soon with another episode. And uh, we will see you then. And please enjoy some Xenoblade music. It has a nice soundtrack. It really does. (laughs) 